If you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend, Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair. My friend told me that I should start episodes sipping my tea because it can be a kind of like signature kind of thing. <laughs> sort of like uh, if London on the track or something yeah. like that, you know? <laughs> I was listening to Hal Wayne's album today. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of, instead of uh, you know, uh, 21 Savage doing my drop, I'll just sip tea. But I'm here with Pete Laurie Winfield, who um, currently creative director and partner on uh, on Vero Music, formerly, or I don't know, Until the Ribbon Breaks, lots of projects, but uh, music guy, director, you know, visual music video, whatever we call those things today. <laughs> and uh, you're in the studio, and you're in, you're in your secret hideout studio with the very dentist, right? You, you got your, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much a secret man cave hidden away next to a, I think he's a dentist and the next door is actually an acting school. So that's been closed down for a minute, obviously. I guarantee there's like a badass sushi spot right next to you also. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's totally the way that Los Angeles works. Like stumble upon some weird little, like you think you, like maybe you're going to get mugged there or you're about to get a $250, you know, meal of your life <laughs> in a strip mall. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. Which one is it? Like, how do you how do you define the mugging? You know? Well, I think the most important question there is if you were going to get mugged and have sushi, in what order would you like to do that? Probably. Probably get mugged after because I don't care at that point. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> take it all. I don't give a shit. I just had a 27 piece omakase. You can have what you can have all of me. I don't give a shit. I'll walk home. I don't care. Take my car. I love I love that approach. My, my, I think mine mine would be there's I get mugged and then the sushi is a reward scheme. <laughs> you're like bleeding on the sushi. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I think I prefer yours, obviously. So there you go. Important nah, either way, you're getting some sushi, and you know, <laughs> somebody else is getting their is getting their sushi funded. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it does get a bit hairy uh where i am leaving i work really weird hours much like probably every creative of any kind anywhere but i sure. um yeah sometimes leaving the studio at this part of town late at night feels feels like there's no sushi and i'm definitely gonna get mugged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean la is still that's what like like New York. You have to go out to like Linden Boulevard, maybe. To you have to go really far out into Queens. Like I don't even know anywhere in Brooklyn that you can get mugged 
even south like it's it's hard like you can go to you know you could go to neighborhoods that used to be shitty and they're pretty gentrified um but deep queens you could still get mugged but like manhattan like there's not there's nowhere i think the final frontier was like the lower lower east side like that little hook past like east broadway like you you maybe years ago could have gotten mugged there but now it's all these like foreign exchange not foreign exchange it's just like students from other places uh in these apartments that are like they put these uh these walls up like fake like plaster walls and they'll be like 14 it'll be like a 14 bedroom apartment made out of you know like 600 square feet and and there's so many of those people there that are like just you know totally cool and normal that like it's so populated now even the remotest part of manhattan that like you can't get mugged anymore so I don't know. I don't know if you can get mugged in New York. You can get mugged in LA. There's enough space. Like I've always thought that uh, it's why if I'm, I come back to LA, it's why I'm it's, here. Right for well, I, so, so you probably say it because like it's uh, it's you know it's affordable because of that. But I also think it like I talk about my brother. My brother's 13 years younger than me, and we both grew up in Manhattan. But I explain when people ask like why we're so different i'm like because i grew up when you can get mugged and he didn't and <laughs> it's a big difference when, when so i think there's flavor to it also 100 oh, percent. i you know walk in macarthur park like oh my god it's oh my fucked god. a part of why i wanted to move to america is a strange thing to reminisce about for sure being mugged mm-hmm. uh, but i i grew up in cardiff in wales and that was like infinitely rougher than new york which I was not expecting, you know, from, from growing up in Wales. Oh, you thought New York would be yeah. rougher. Seeing when did you get to New York for the first time? Uh, six years, seven years ago. Oh, dude, Disney. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like 15, 20 years or something like that. Uh, oh, my God, six years ago. I was already, I moved to Los Angeles in the end of 2014. And that was, I was already like, that was well post, you know, full gentrification. Like that was when, you know, Starbucks was in Bushwick. I I used to throw parties out in like, like deep Bushwick and, you know, the, the parking lots got, you know, the basement things turned into Starbucks by then. Um, Yeah. New York (laughs) is no, no, nowhere is safe. Nowhere (laughs) is safe for the muggers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i love that i love that way of looking at it that's incredible yeah it's not we used fair. to go to Times square to get into trouble yeah <laughs> like i'm old enough to do that i'm 35 years old and we got like i got beat up by cops in Times square in my lifetime wow what did you now do? you just get ice cream what, what did i do i don't fucking know uh anything uh, it didn't matter it was just being there and and you're not supposed to be here and like if you don't leave you know i think i was i was like we were just nothing yeah we're just like kids yeah and you know they tell you to get the fuck out of here and like if they see you again 20 minutes later like they beat you up basically that was that was it was literally like there's no you don't need to do something back then it was just like these white kids are here they're gonna get in trouble we're gonna yell at them tell them to get the fuck out of here go home and if we see you again you know you'll be in trouble which means they're gonna slam you against the wall and like you know slap you around and let you go they didn't like arrest us but yeah he like beat me up and shit this is pre uh smartphone as well so you (laughs) oh yeah yeah of just 
is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I was, this is probably, you know, this is, this is, oh my God, this is 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so old. This is 20 years ago. Jesus, I'm telling a story about like me going a place like like without my parents, you know, like like I was I was a I was allowed to I've been I've had 20 years of roaming of being able to go to school by myself. People who um, uh, will be listening to this and not seeing it won't see that you talk when you talked about that you literally looked into the middle distance and your eyes bleeding. Yeah. you felt like <laughs> nostalgic about a time where you could get mugged yeah no for real i, I i'm i'm like it's not, it's it's a funny conversation but it is i'm dead serious that like the flavor that we've lost with experience you know like i've said i, I love my brother and stuff but like he never got his teeth kicked in and yeah. I've said for years, if it's not going to happen, then I said I, throughout his youth, I told my parents, you need to let him get his teeth kicked in and just hope that like, you know, he can get replacements and he'll be fine and like all that, but like they need to get kicked in. <laughs> and if they don't, it'll just, it'll happen eventually, Yeah. but it'll happen. It's like chicken pox, you know, it's better to get it when you're a kid. Okay. You don't want it when you're an adult. I completely agree. The the amount of, of and you know I'm very reticent to sound like um, a kind of <laughs> grumpy old man already. I'm sure I'll get there. I, I'm but. 35. I've been a grumpy old man for at least five years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> but the level of um, kind of shielding I, there is an element of it i think it's yes. definitely uh, a bit dangerous unless we continue at the rate we're going and everybody lives in some kind of pod anyway and then it doesn't matter maybe that's what we're oh going yeah to. like hudson yards or some bullshit like that yeah so tell me about tell me about cardiff and the and the contrast so uh cardiff's an interesting place in that in that it isn't very you know, it's one of the, I, I imagine it's through touring and stuff uh, with Until the Ribbon Breaks, I got to see some parts of America I never why, never would have otherwise. You know, it's, you come, you especially if you come here to do some kind of entertainment industry thing, it's like the coasts, right? So touring, mm. the only time I got to see these kind of um, other ways of life, and they reminded me a lot, much more of Cardiff, you know, mm -hmm. uh, back home, it's kind of, unless you get out or you have the desire to get out, the, the, the different, the, the, the different industries are much smaller in the sense of it's a lot of sure. industry. It's a lot of laboring and, um, there's no, there's no arts really. There's no opportunity to do anything like that, but, but I do, there was so, no scene that you came up in. It was all just finding things elsewhere. Um, there was pockets, like definitely. Um, my friends and I it was skateboarding, you know, and and uh, okay. that's a huge. That was a huge defining thing for me because then, especially, it was such a counterculture. You know, that was how I. I was terrible, absolutely terrible at skateboarding. I did it for ten years and never hmm. got better. But I completely attribute it to shaping what i was into who i hang out with what how I you spent your time to 
how you talk. You know, I couldn't wait to get out of school to go hang out with the the kids who were skateboarding rather than, you know, uh, the other things that were going on in the town. So there was definitely... No, I totally feel you. Fifth grade, alien workshop, uh, sneakers. I had, I forget what board I had. I don't think it was a workshop. But yeah, I, I got into skating. I never got good, but it was just, it was the culture. It was the whole thing. The two coolest kids in class were skaters. They weren't really skaters. You know, they weren't like, it was just the lifestyle. Yeah. They were like one notch above me, which was, which was trash, which was nothing. But they were like slightly, you know, but we would go to the skate shop. We would, you know, hang out in the little parks. We, we weren't like that into it that we hung out at like the legit skate parks, but we would go to the skate shop that everyone would go to and we'd go to like parks yeah, and just like fuck around. Like I, I think ollieing was the extent of my, of my skill, you know, but it was the culture. It was the lifestyle. It was the look. It was the, it was, it was a punk, you know, kind of aesthetic and feeling um there's great you know like uh the jonah hill film and betty right now skate kitchen you know they encapsulate it really well uh kids larry clark's film really did it the best just like there's a vibe to it and there and there's a family to it and you learn about the world through skating whether you learn how to skate or not completely there was no way that being from wales i was going to be um you know the radio there is kind of pop pop, pop okay. music in its truest form pop, whatever's popular there was no way i was going to ever hear wu-tang or no fx or any or rage against the machine any of the stuff that when i first heard it it was like music from another planet i was never going to hear that if it wasn't if it hadn't been that's such a bridge whoa like wu-tang you know, no effects, and in the middle, Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but it's no, I like, didn't. I didn't. Yeah. It was that. It was that. And then it was um, the thing that really changed everything for me was um, a, a kind of about the same time I heard Portishead from the UK and DJ Shadow, obviously from the States. Yeah. And that's when I first was like, oh, this is the music that I love whatever this cool. is it's it's that and that again through skateboarding some older kid you know who who you're like oh he's cool it must be good and then you listen to right. it you know all that you borrow the cd or something and a week later like all of a sudden yeah 100 100 and what was shit was were things was it rough was it were there gangs or were people friendly or what was it like no it was it was it was Looking back now, you, you know, you kind of just, at the time, it's your reality, right? But looking back, especially with the context of what we're talking about, how things are now, it was rough. It was, it was, you were either a skater or you were, it's funny, there's not really an American equivalent to this, or you were a, a chav, right? And your entire job as a chav was to chase skateboarders. Describe chav because I think I know what you're talking about, but I haven't heard the term, and I, I want to see chav. if I, is it like a sosh, like from the outsiders, um, like the guys in polo shirts, like a, a, a like a pink polo shirt. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So the soshes, it's like the greasers and the soshes, you know. 
Yeah. yeah the waspy it, kid, the white fox, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like some kind of weird small town West Side story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's every, every, what, the reason why West Side Story is West Side Story is because it's every town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it was it was a constant getting chased by them, getting beaten up by them a few times. The very few occasion there was enough of us where we would be able to hold. Yeah, did up. they ever? Right. You know, did it ever reverse? Yeah, because we had skateboards. That was the key. Right. You know, it's a good weapon if you need it to be. Totally. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's more of a slightly more of a hippie mentality to the to the skateboarders, or there was. So we were. Yeah, I've been punched a bunch of times in my life. Yeah, I've yeah. literally never punched someone. Like I've never closed a fist and moved my arm with intent to connect with something. I've never done it. <laughs> Say honestly, same here, and being punched a lot of times. So I, yeah, I have dreams where I can't punch. Do you have that? Yeah, I have dreams where I can't run, where I can't punch where i'm held down and i can't move but that's honestly like i've never run from a fight and i've never engaged in a fight i've been i've i've stood i've done the exact same thing every single time like since i'm a kid in sports the, the, someone held a gun at me once i oh. did i do the exact i just sorry i was just said wow that is not something oh 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 to, yeah oh yeah uh and I just, I, I do the same thing every time someone, like I've been punched in the face and I just, are you good? Are, are we done? You know, like it's usually not me who's the target. It's usually someone else. And I'm stepping in both to back someone up, but also um, when they have the problem with someone else. And I like, w when you just sort of distribute that energy, even a little bit, uh -huh. it, it, it calms it down and it becomes ridiculous in a way. Like you're gonna, like you're mad at the other person, you want to inflict damage, but you're gonna have to inflict damage on, on me. I'm not engaging with you and, but I'm not backing down either. Like I'm gonna be in your way. If you're gonna inflict damage, you're gonna have to inflict damage that you are entirely responsible for on someone who is not asking, you know, not doing anything to, to warrant it. And um, that's basically how I handle, like, all how I've always handled those conflicts. I, I aggressively uh, de-escalate. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll get in the motherfucker's face. <laughs> and I'll be like, are you going to hit me right now? Because if you hit me right now, like, like first of all, if you want to continue this, you're going to have to hit me. And if you hit me right now, that's on you. <laughs> you're violently peaceful. Mm hmm <laughs> Oh. I will like shame someone into being like, I will make, I will sort of egg them on, but while I'm egging them on, I will shame them into like, into almost submission of like, how shitty do you want to be? How shitty are you willing to be to not be like chick to not back down, to be on principle? Uh-huh. I, I, yeah, I remember this, uh... having, this guy had a gun one time and, and that happened. And I said, you're not going to, I said, you're not going to get to my friend. It was, it was the same friend who was always the same guy, but yeah, but we were at, we were like leaving a party and he was drunk and popping shit on some guy. And, uh, the guy had a gun and my friend ran away and the guy was like going to chase and I got in the way and I said, you're going to deal with me first. You can deal with him, but you're going to deal with me first. Do you want that? Is that, and, and he, and he stopped and that was basically it. 
and my friend ran away literally ran away but but yeah and he just like held the gun at me and i was like are you you're serious like over that i was like over over this bullshit and he stopped and it was all good was it um I'm imagining that classic movie moment where someone holds a gun and they and they you can see them pondering it and thinking about it and yeah, just it was totally he didn't he didn't he he took it out and he never ra- he never like put it in me he he held it down uh-huh. he never raised it but he held it with you know like he took it out of his waistband and he was holding it and he was trying to run after my friend. And, and yeah, and I just, I, I, I stopped him and I said, I said, you're going to have to deal with someone else first. And yeah, it was, it was that it was, I was just taught, I was, it was exactly that. It was that moral play. It was like, how, how important is this to you? Mm-hmm. Totally. And it wasn't important at all. And after he had a second to, it was nothing. We were all at the same party. It was nothing. Mm-hmm. That, that, I guess that's a huge difference in terms of, you know, like yes, I can say that it was rougher in terms of scrapping and and running away and fighting and maybe having to use a skateboard in the UK. But there is no there is no chance, possibility, or fear that there's ever going to be a gun. Sure. That was not- the only time I've ever seen a gun in that context. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that we were told that every black person carried a gun and a knife but it of course wasn't true but we would literally have assemblies in school about this so i'm i'm we're talking i graduated from high school in 2003 so early 2000 you know late 90s early 2000 it was the bloods and the crips and we would have assemblies we would have diversity assemblies even to talk to us about the gang violence that was happening at that moment and the initiations and we were told that black kids were walking around the upper east side hunting for initiation targets, us, and they were going to ask us what time it is. And we were going to hold out our wrist because we all wear watches, of course, which is another funny thing because no one, at, you know, no kid at, at, at 13 years old, like you don't wear a fucking watch. Like, <laughs> so the idea is that we're going to raise our wrist up and, and, and be like, oh, funny you ask, person on the street who wants to know what time it is, let me raise my wrist up and they're going to slash your wrist. That was what they told us. Um, and this went on for years this, and no one ever contradicted it. There was never like someone who told us later, but, Oh, sorry, that was a false report. That was hype. That was some, you know, uh, you know, shenanigans, like no one ever corrected it. This went on for years that, Oh, there's an initiation going on. We're going to have an assembly about it. It's crazy. And any black person was a gang. Wow. It was Uh. fucked. Yeah. But this never happened once. Like literally there is not one example of this happening. But we had it for years where we were warned about it. Just control via fear. Yeah. I had um black at Dalton, which Dalton was my school. I had oh my god, I didn't even talk to her about this. This is so funny. Wow. I did an episode last week. It's it's up now with uh like an organization that just got started about like racism at my school and we did an episode last week about it but that's so funny that i forgot that so to like use that anecdote because they're younger than me it's pretty wild yeah i i mean hopefully was racism a thing there no because 
it's not um it's so much less multicultural as the simple just all fact. white people pretty much there's there's um there's there's pockets but there's no uh, especially wales london obviously is very different um london is far more multicultural and that's why i couldn't wait to get i couldn't wait to get out of Cardiff. so you moved to london or, or you moved to london what after after school yeah, no, I think I was, um, I think I moved to London when I was 16, 17, I think. Oh, all right. So you got out early, yeah. And then came back and then went back, you know, uh, you need, you know, I've always been, uh, I guess, a musician in whatever regard. And a lot of the time that means having no money. <laughs> so, so um, you know, it was, it was London when I could, back to, it was just back and forth everywhere trying to do what I do, but it, I always knew I wanted to uh, get out, you know, always. What, how, how long were you, did uh, Until the Ribbon Breaks come together in London? Or was that when you were in New York already? Until the Ribbon Breaks was a direct response to, I had, um, in my early 20s, I had done, um, God, this ages me as well. I'd put some demos up on MySpace of um, some songs I'd written and long story less long, I ended up signing a record deal and making a record that I absolutely couldn't stand. You know, I was I was young and the same old story of- Just to so much that I was at that same label. I was, I was in A&R at that label before you signed to that label. So just- Oh, wow. So I, I, I can age myself more than you. <laughs> I was at Republic. I, I worked for Monty and Avery, you know, back oh, in the day. Wow. Yeah. No, no, this was pre, so this was pre that. This was Island Records in the UK. Oh, got it. Okay. Was this Massey? Or this is pre Massey? Who was doing Dark, Island before Darkest, Massey? Darkest, this was. Darkest? Oh, 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 UK. Okay. So Darkest Yeah, Beast. yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it, got it. I think he Darkest runs, Beast, yeah. I think he runs Island worldwide. I think he runs Yeah, Island. yeah, now. So we're talking about about Darkest Beast and Ted Cockle at that point. Yes. I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, and it would have been two thousand and eight. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Darkest and, and Ted. So yeah, I did classic, classic, just 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 green, you know, no one's fault. Yeah, yeah, of course I'll sign a record deal. It's what I've always. But wanted. that's amazing. Yo, don't don't undersell. Like Darkest and Ted were super hot. That that I mean, they're still Ted just left, but Darkest is like the man, and this was when he was just getting started and really hot at that time. So getting a deal, having Darkest A&R you is a big deal. So. Oh no, for sure. And it was around the time. It was amazing time. It was Winehouse. Yeah, exactly. And he was like the man at that moment. So getting, getting in that, into that system was, that, that must've been cool. Oh, totally. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. It's, um, I always have such an aversion to these kind of, um, woe is me stories about the music industry because it's all if you watch the amy documentary darkest is like the tall black record label guy yeah uh and a great dude and that's the thing He's it's the like man, we, yeah we you know it's just something another thing to learn from but i it was just classic i didn't really know what i wanted to make and what kind of artist i was or any of that stuff so you just go along with that because of that you then take on too much advice and da, 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 da. no one knows totally. what to do and it ended up making a record I didn't believe in. So until the ribbon breaks was a direct response to that. The week after uh, 
getting dropped from Ireland, I remember thinking, well, I have a choice here. I can either, you know, feel sorry for myself or, or like spend all this time regretting what could have been or what happened. Or I could just make the record I wish I'd made in the first place. So that, and that process was how long? Like a year, two years? What? Yeah, it was a long, it was long because I had to learn, you know, one of the things I realized is that if you want an element of control in your artistry, there has to be some self-sufficiency, right? So for me, that meant yes. um, going back to learning all the production I had got interested in as a kid and then yeah, it was a long process, but it was such an amazing one. I, I, there's these parts, and funnily enough, I'm in one right now, but these, these parts through my career, for want of a better expression, where life, I guess, where for whatever reason, outside circumstances means you arrive at a time where you start again, in the best sense. Yeah, totally. You know? And uh, it was definitely a time like that. And they're always the most exciting, you know, back against the wall. If I don't make this great, I, it has to be great. It's that, it's that thing. And I always find for me, I work best from that place. Um, so yeah, until the Ribbon Bricks was, was born out of that and a desire to want to do, because I went to school briefly to do film because I thought that's what I wanted to do. So until the Ribbon Bricks was a kind of way for me to try and combine both things um yeah the name until the room breaks comes from being a kid and first hearing first seeing a film from finding my parents vhs tapes and hearing music oh that's the ribbon from hearing cassettes and then playing them uh -huh. and playing them until the ribbon broke so it was yeah. it was kind of a the whole thing was a kind of love story to getting back to why i wanted to do like this until the wheels fall off yeah exactly um and yeah and then that you know and i guess the whole process started again i ended up signing to uh by then it was soundcloud so it was just that i uploaded oh, yeah, yeah. the song to soundcloud and then right. the same thing happened i ended up at a major label in america and then the whole thing started again it's funny you know but um i was i was but it worked really well this time i mean for you know for however whatever your feelings are it was a it was a, it was a big project yeah, I'm really, really, um, really proud of those uh, records. I'm, uh, you know, I may make another one one day. It's definitely on a deep hiatus, but it was such an mm. amazing time that I kind of got a band together from um, once the record was as was made. I kind of got a band together from my mates from the UK from back home, just because I knew how exciting it would be to like tour America with my friends, you know. And none of us had ever been. And when I first arrived in New York, it looked exactly, still does every time I go. It, it's the one place in the world that I think more than lives up to the, what you, how you hope it's going to be, how it smells, how it looks. Like I couldn't believe oh, yeah. the steam actually did come out of the floor. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, you it's know? funny. Someone I saw writing, um, describing you know the subway uh the, su the subway steam coming up and, and lifting my dress you know so someone someone was right <laughs> i saw a, an anecdote like that in something i was reading yesterday oh yeah new york is the greatest uh everything that i say about you know i'm just talking about changes you know previously in the beginning of this conversation we were talking about mugging and whatnot these are just changes but um i'll tell you like my new york of this year 
uh, I've been in Mexico pretty much the whole year, but I came back between trips for about 10 days and just stacked. This was uh, end of February. And I've been in Mexico since then, but uh, I was in Mexico before that and, and now after. But I went for about 10 days to New York and it just stacked culture and good stuff. And it was like, it feed, it's feeding me still, you know, whatever this is, like six months later. Like it was just, it was, I went, I timed it for all the Broadway openings. So I saw everything before it closed. Uh, so there were only like the, the pre, uh, the previews. And I went to like every preview I wanted. So it was every day I had like two things. I had like ballet in the afternoon, Broadway at night, concert, uh, film festival. Like it was just every meal was was targeted, saw the people that I wanted to see, went to all the tea houses that, that I love. Um, and I just stacked my favorite parts of New York into about 10 days. And it was amazing. New York still has that. It mm -hmm. doesn't have the, you know, it's not the, the strokes. There's no strokes of today. There's no TV on the radio in Williamsburg. There's no Sonic Youth on the, you know, in the East Village. There's, you know, none of those things are happening. There's no, you know, SOBs is not the hip hop scene that it used to be. Blue Note is all older jazz musicians, you know, and hip hop stuff. It's all amazing, but nothing is being created, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, and that sucks, but New York is still amazing. I still love it there. The best of everything is still there. You can't expect to make anything new there right now. It's a bad time for creativity, but it's still vibrant as fuck. I love it. And there's uh, totally, and I, I have so much belief in it as a, as a bed of creativity that it, the next, what all those things you mentioned, if I, I had hope, yeah. to predict where they come from, it's there, you know, and something will, I really, I really believe that, you know, I think one of the, you know, trying to think positively through all these things, I think is really key, um, especially if you're going to try and still be creative, but I definitely think that um, one of the things is hopefully a massive resurgence in, um, the art or creating in its true essence of okay it's me in a room yeah i don't have access to people and things or money even maybe so i better make this good out of what I've, what i've got so when i saw and and from the micro to the macro right monty and avery are not sending any checks to anyone yeah, yeah no make way. the record that you want to make that's it yeah that's all you got that's it that's it and and if I think back on everything I love, it all start, whether it ends up there, it starts from there. Sure. You know, I, 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 I read in some article that um, a few months back now when all this started is that movie sets are now um, in LA is going to really struggle because movie sets are now a maximum of kind of 30 people or something. And I remember thinking, great, you better write a good story then. Yo, you're preaching to the choir big time because I'm about to go like me. Like I just, I just, I have a short film premiering that like ten people worked on, and the short is basically exactly what I'm doing for the feature that we're we're prepping now. And I'm not scaling it up. Like, and there was no version of the film where I was. My entire production, like nothing has changed. I was already writing it for effectively this. 
we're all in hotels. We are small crews. I broke up my shooting calendar so that I don't have to block anyone out for three weeks at a time. So everything, it's like we're doing three days here, six days there, one day there. That's the whole shoot is, is, is that way. And nothing, all of my like peak, you know, above the line kind of technician types are targeted for like their thing. It's not like, I'm not like booking a steady cam for, for a month. Like I have my steady cam days, things like that. That was already how I was doing it. So like to me, that's how like, because yeah, yeah. what matters, you know, the fucking script and the actors like, and, 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 and the camera, like these, all these other things, like they're just, you know, the representation and it doesn't matter. Like I, I, I just, I, I did it with $15,000 and 10 people and I did what I wanted to do. And if I could just five X that, you know, time-wise, like a longer movie, I'm happy. And I don't need even 30 people. I do not need 30 people on my set ever. Not for, not for the, the, the three movies that I'm making right now, the next three scripts that I have, there will never be 30 people on set. And uh, I love that. I just got chills because it just, uh, you unless, know. unless we're shooting in a nightclub, you know, and then we have people yeah. in the nightclub. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. it. That's the only scenario that I have 30 people on set. There's just, it's not, we don't need that. I don't no. need like a, a 15 person genie, you know, grip and electric department. I don't need it. I need oh, one okay. focus puller. I need, you know, camera operator slash steady cam, like one sound person. Like I don't need my editor and my whole DIT. I don't need the whole thing. I don't need my, my movie being colored on the spot. Like I know what to do. Like we can take our frames and we can do that later. We don't need, we don't need a video village that's like six miles away. Like we don't need those things. Those are luxuries that people got used to as like, yeah, you know, they're not even helpful. Like you want, you want who needs to be on like actually there, who should the actors not be uncomfortable seeing while they're acting? Oh, completely. And it, and it totally refocuses and reshapes the thing you're actually making. Like you said, it, how much creativity aside and making something aside, I think even from a macro perspective, what we're going through, for me personally, I've noticed almost shockingly how much I surrounded myself with, how many things, how many, how many uh, of these, whether it's an, whether it's a, an app or some, even a part of my day, mm-hmm. something I do, I realize that being forced to strip the majority of that away, I don't feel worse. I feel better. Right. Cause you strip it down and you keep the essential, you maintain the essential. And what do you lose? You lose stuff that you didn't really need in the first place. Like how many synths do you need in your studio right now? Like I see you have the two main ones and like, I don't know, maybe there's some analogs on the side or whatever, but like, I don't know, you know, we hear these records and people are really into their analog synths. And I, I, I am, I personally am <laughs> like, I love it, but like, does it make the record better? Not usually, no. Like usually, you could just download the right plugin and like achieve the same effect. Uh, <laughs> no, so much. It's like I- the the studio films, the Netflix movies, like like the the Russo brothers. Like, yeah, they need like two hundred people on the team because I because they use it. They do like these big, you know, they do Avengers and shit. Great, 
do do whatever you got to do because that shit's another another story but when we're talking about like the rom-com you know just like the people talking movie like the the movie that captures people talking and moving around and a camera just shoots people talking and cutting between other people talking like you do not need a hundred million dollars and like a giant studio set for that like you you need everything that I did and that you don't need more. They overlight these things because they can and they they stack all these, they just add all these, it's just an industry. Yeah, and yeah. And it's not it's a better movie. Yeah, completely. And it has it's to- It's ridiculous. It's reached, it's, it's reached a point where it has to feed itself, right? It's like, the, right. It's, it's awake now and it's hungry. Yeah. <laughs> But it's completely unnecessary. It, I was having this conversation yesterday. There's always a part of me that wants to, because um, you know, I'm a, a huge part of creativity for me is like nerding out on making a sound and and or whatever it is. And a part of that is, oh, I wonder if I could get some new thing to do it. And then I end at the po- up at the point where I'm sitting in front of all this stuff, whether it's plugins or or analog synths and I what actually happens is that I don't know what to do Mm -hmm. whereas if I just had one paralyzed by the choice yeah yeah take if I just had the Juno or whatever which would be fucking amazing right I it's no like somehow people made synth records in the 80s yeah (laughs) (laughs) they didn't have a room like you're in right now they didn't have access to all of that but somehow they made some good records you know freestyle happened Stuff like that. Completely. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, and, and you were part of a machine that, that, yeah, it does execute some awesome things. You know, like their like NASA database is incredible, but like getting eight people, you know, on the production for the, you know, on the percussion for until the ribbon breaks or something like that, you know, get, getting it, getting like a snare from one person in Los Angeles and then getting a kick from someone in Liverpool. And getting, uh, you know, l- l- like, like A&Ring it to that. Like this happens, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you've been in it. Like they make records like that. And like, is it really, do we really need like, yeah, do we really no. need five people to build the percussion on one song? No, the answer is absolutely no, it's ridiculous. Like <laughs> the, um, when I, when, um, partly one of the reasons the, the, the until the ribbon breaks, came to a kind of end when it did is because um another long story short i through touring and just years and years and years i ended up getting sober and then that completely changed my perspective on what it is to create and then i thought about maybe okay if i'm not going to do the band thing i maybe will produce and write for other people but i had to stop that almost straight away when i realized that it that what you're talking about that creating via committee yeah it, at some point it's not cre- it's not actually creative anymore you're just modeling after some generic yeah. sound yeah and then you know you get an email derivative can you can you hey hey pete do you think you could make it sound a bit more like and then they just insert whatever the two biggest artists in the world are right. even if they're not related at all <laughs> even <laughs> if they it, it could be like an anr's job just to copy and paste whatever's on the yeah. charts not even to listen yeah. to the songs just to be like can you make it more like ed sheeran or drake you know, like. <laughs> well, i think we have to get ed, ed sheeran in if you want that <laughs> right right <laughs> 
Hey, again, that's not, uh, I'm certainly not someone that, I'm not like anti the industry and I'm not anti A&R by any means. I actually think when it's done. There are some incredible A&Rs that are like producers, you know. Yeah, and you need objectivity, right, as an artist. You need someone who can, um, who's not so close and is not going to let you disappear up your own backside and make a 10-minute space mm. opera when you've got a pretty decent chorus. You know? that's, what my, that's what my music is. It's like 10-minute space <laughs> operas, but it's like 17-minute space operas, actually, well, and there's no chorus. I want that. I need to hear that. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just... <laughs> what? But can you make it sound a bit more like Bruno Mars, please? <laughs> well, there's, there's always, there's, there's the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's the breakdown part. Yeah. Where it goes totally Bruno Mars, like uh, Mark Ronson. You know? <laughs> I love that. It's just, it's just like 17 minute space opera. Yeah. But 14 minutes in there's a bridge. Yeah. Which is the greatest <laughs> pop hook anyone's heard, but it happened yeah, before. For a bar. Just yeah. <laughs> I could have, if I wanted to. <laughs> I love that. I, I, exactly I, I, yeah that just I, I have a song where the kick comes in for like four bars like <laughs> like six minutes in like and that's literally like uh, i only have a kick for and there's a there, oh there I, there's another song where the hook is on the outro and that's it <laughs> like it's 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 like it's it's repeated like on the mix out but the vocal doesn't come in until the mix out and it's like a six it's like a five minute 50 second song and the mix out is the hook <laughs> right right at the end of the fade out you're like, Wait, yeah like you're ready wait, to right. end the song and the and the hook comes in you think the song is is ending and <laughs> i bring in the hook and then it ends but i'm doing this of course like kind of on purpose yeah, yeah this is my uh you know my my language i'm speaking okay. with this you know it's it's not uh it's not entirely it's not in a bubble i'm doing this uh with knowledge of you know the um there the, you know there's a meta to doing that yeah yeah of course do you um soundtrack your own films i don't soundtrack uh i don't do any all my sound is diegetic is okay. is in the is in so if there's a song it's in the film, like okay, live sound, like like it's played, it, like someone turns on the radio and the song is on. Um, I don't do any music like for mood or sound effects that are so. If there's sound effects and they're contrapuntal, like if they're like emphasized loud, if there's like a sound mix, it's usually removing more than it is adding, and it's like adding by removing. Um, so like. I'd say like like the beginning and the end of my film right now have the most notable like sound effects, but they're not, they're, it's more I removed things and I made two sound, one sound in the beginning and one sound in the end accentuate because of what I removed. So I took out what you would expect to be hearing and you hear exclusive, you hear, you, you, it's almost soloed. Um, but I try and keep sound as sensorially like 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 sensory realism i guess uh sort of new roman like ob objectivity uh in, in that i might accentuate something that would be in the character's energy like 
things that are that are meaningful that are impactful that are that the character's paying more attention to that the ear is reacting to i might mix up but i don't invent something i don't add something to so if if a sound is going to be non-diegetic in my film in my language my 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 cinematic language it has to be psychosomatic or something like that like like we're in a dream state or or i am i am expressing the character going through something so if there's like a song that's playing that's non-diegetic it's it's like in the character's head uh, okay it it kind of is like emotional it's contextual with the character's motivation uh, yes that's, yeah that's really that's really interesting concept and it, it makes- like i don't have like synth risers going up when yeah. someone's opening a door and like like i, I don't i don't uh I don't build suspense with my with a soundscape, you know. Is that that's really interesting? Is that because you um, you believe that it takes a step away from reality to kind of create mood that isn't in the performance? Uh, yes, for sure. It's that plus uh, it's presentation versus representation. I am. That, that's like the acting term, I guess, like Uta Hagen technique uh, or theory. Um, what I care about doing is, so I, I consider expression beneath understanding. Understanding is the goal. Expression is a means. Okay. Getting, getting saying stuff, speaking is not enough. Oh, I see. So I require, I don't want just people to, under, to, to hear me. The point of the song, the point of the movie is not just to tell them how I feel. It is to translate. So I I believe all art comes from, you know, suffering and we suffer. We internalize that suffering. We parse it. We just, you know, we, we, we figure it out. We have our feelings and then we externalize what's inside. And the point of externalizing that is for others to read and receive and parse themselves. So I don't want to make movies to make people know about me. I want to make movies to make people know about themselves. Mm. And when I am using these kinds of crutches that are, well, some are postmodern, some are are expressionist, whatever. There's a surreal, I don't know, anything you want to pick out of a hat. I think that it removes you from the imposition of the narrative on yourself Uh and when you can't get like the suspension of disbelief has limits to its affect i I don't really want them to suspend their disbelief actually you you actually are trying to maintain the belief I want them to be like, oh, that's me yeah, too. Yeah. And, I, and that totally makes sense that anything outside of that is one step away from the conversation between mm-hmm. the, the It gives them an out. Yeah. It's like, like okay. Get Out is, uh, is a great example of, I remember seeing Get Out, Jordan Peele's film. I saw it in, I saw it a few times, but I saw it particularly in two super white neighborhoods, one in Boca Raton, Florida with my grandma and one in Telluride, not at the film festival, regular Telluride ski weekend. 
And I went outside and I talked to a bunch of white people after watching it and I wanted to see what their reactions were. And I believe this is the generic consensus around that film, Get Out, which is that was a bunch of crazy people. Oh my God, that was horrible. That was a horror movie. Get Out is not really, it's not not a horror movie. It's not, not a, not, it's not a bunch of crazy people. It is regular racism. It is not about hate. It is not about insanity. Everything in Get Out makes sense. They are doing things that make sense. They are maintaining their position in the world. It all makes sense. It all has logic. And that's what's dangerous about it. That's what's affecting about it. But because they made it so poppy and fun and crazy and wild and scary, people got to take just that out of it. And they took, you know, they, they removed themselves. They didn't see that Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford are them. They're just regular white people who cut in line. I wrote like an essay afterwards. And I was like, if you cut in line, you are the people from Get Out. That's what the movie's about. It's about regular white people cutting in line. I saw it right after Coachella. And I compared it to a guy who looped around and, and to try and cut in the car line at Coachella. And he was this super white guy with his family. It was, it, was, it was a blonde white guy, blonde white mom, two kids in the back. And he was like, I got a kid. I'm like, everyone here has, you know, people. Like, why, why do you get to cut all the cars in the Coachella line? Like, and he had no answer. And, and then he had to loop around and everyone started clapping. It was great. Oh, this was a time where I got out of the car and stood in front of his car. And I said, you're going to have to go to the side. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to let you cut everyone here. And I did that. I felt like a fucking hero. It was great. But then I wrote an essay about it, about Get Out. And I said, that guy is the family in Get Out. He's not like killing anybody or anything like that, but it's the same kind of racism. So in my films, I want to say your, your regular misogyny, your day-to-day misogyny, you don't have to violently rape in order yeah. to be committing, you know, in order to be these characters. Well, I guess that's, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that intentional kind of meta uh that's that's how it's so powerful right that film in particular is that it 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 does that trick on people right and that's the point of it and it, that's what it's saying it's saying to you what you are not able to re- say back you know it's i think that's what's so that i, I love the meta of that that's amazing you know because yeah, it, get, it, it, i just it, wish it, more people read the meta yeah <laughs> yeah well you know subtext so I don't let anyone out of my film without knowing that it's a meta. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Like I don't give them, I don't give them enough to describe. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're watching something. I, I slow it down to ensure their thought yeah. that they have, that they are stuck with this. Yeah. When the couple walk from the office to the hotel room, we follow their entire walk. And the point of that is to surround the viewer with their sense of place and to really like, you have nothing to do but to think about the conversation that just happened and where they're headed and just feel it. And that's it. Yeah. I don't not, give them anything else. You're not trying to manipulate an emotion that isn't being presented. Mm-hmm. I want them to, I want It's funny. It's when I when when um, as a kind of strange exercise. It was almost funny, actually. It was like a weird, fun little game. Uh, when Trump was doing his uh, White House conferences at the beginning of um, the lockdown, I would 
put them on in the studio and then play music underneath them. And it's so, so fascinating how the slight change in a, in a voicing of a chord can change how you feel about what you're saying, regardless of what you're saying. And I you feel like... an example, yeah. Like, you know, if you... If Trump's giving... if I think I made some videos of this. And so say he's giving an address about how he believes how, you know, he's responsible for... Um, America staying on top of it like he he stopped the travel ban from China before anyone else all these all these ridiculous claims he made mm -hmm. if you play kind of grandiose not uh less sad and more kind of um I always call them space chords you know like like a where it's it's wide scape and it doesn't manipulate sadness or happiness <laughs> okay just give size and it's very different to when i was playing like just very you know you play just very sad chords under underneath it and it became a feeling of i can't believe like there's the watcher i yeah. can't believe we're here and i can't believe the state of this yeah. and then if you play these bigger less emotional but no uh, like just more wide scape music underneath it it became a more of a feeling of we can get past this mm -hmm. okay you know, it was such an interesting and it and it just made this me is uh the russian what's the, the russian juxtaposition film test from the like the, the 20s i forget his name but the, the, the like the classic like film school 101 where he put images of a famous actor alongside different juxtapositions like in front of a you know it was like the same face of a famous actor then like potato face of a famous actor naked woman face of a famous actor child face of a famous actor sunrise you know and, and the audience they he asked the audience what they felt at that mm -hmm. moment and they, they had different reactions to the same image of the same actor wow. with different juxtapositions that's scary to me because that is the that's the power of the news. Sure. You know, that's not I would say that's like what John Stewart used to do though. This is like very liberal, you know, echo chamber. That I, I yeah, I I, I do. Uh, but John Stewart will like be in his, you know, his his frame and he'll just like show something and be like and, and like like make a face. And worse, but and like if you don't watch it with the face, you could be like, oh, you could like form your own opinion, you know, and maybe actually like not think it's ridiculous. But then because John Stewart puts it up and makes like a funny face and like what a fucking idiot, you know, you're like, oh yes, exactly, mm -hmm. John Stewart. Oh my god, thank you so much for for helping me with my opinion. I almost didn't realize how fucking stupid that thing was. <laughs> you had this opportunity to like actually maybe form a nuanced opinion before John Stewart presented it that way. And that's what I always kind of, I, I was, I, I would criticize John Stewart for that back then. Now it's just the way it's just everything we get is, is that. Oh yeah. There's no more conversation. It's, it's mm. you. And also the, the, no one's cross pollinating where they go to get their sources of information. Right. So if you're like staunch left, mm -hmm. you won't even, allow into your let's say social you're media. not following people no. that are disagreeing right. with you <laughs> right right so 
So of course, in your mind, you're completely Let me right. Find this post I just shared. You know. So I just shared. One of my friends like clapped back at me. Said it was bad. Uh, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. Don't be anti-Semitic. Wear a fucking mask and free Britney. Yeah. That was that was that was the post, and I reshared it because I was like, yeah, I agree with all that. And what's funny is she, her, her caption was for the people in the back. You know, like if you haven't already done this, like. Brianna Taylor, no anti-Semitism, uh, wear a mask and free Britney. Like all the issues that our, our, you know, we collectively, the ones who are correct and good and just, we support all these things. And what's, what's fucked is like, there's not one person who like picks two out of four. You know? Yeah. <laughs> there's no one out there who's like, yeah, put those Brianna Taylor cops, kill, kill cops in jail. Uh, that's terrible what's happening to Britney Spears, but no, I don't want to wear a mask and fuck the Jews. Like there's not, that person doesn't exist. They either hate Brianna Taylor, hate the Jews, don't wear a mask <laughs> and hate Britney Spears or they're, or they're, or they're on my feed. <laughs> yeah, because, because if you dare in any scenario, if you dare pick two out of four in whatever, in whatever you're saying, then you suddenly you're on your own. Right, it's like right. So everything is so partisan. Because they're like, both gonna hate you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're nowhere in it now. You know. There's no one shouting arrest Breonna Taylor without a mask. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor without a mask. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What? A, it's a it's a crazy world. There's this has never existed before because all these causes were were communicated in different places you know and now they're all communicated together and you know you sign up or you don't sign up and that's it yeah totally do you do you make a conscious do you lean more towards um taking as much information as you possibly can on in everything so that you are aware of these kind of things and have a bird's eye view or are you more like I, I can't take that on and I it's too much information and I need to just live both. in my okay a yeah. bit of both and I I uh so first I mean anyone who like listens to this regularly or knows me like gets tired of this but like I'm very much you know I removed myself from the machine a few years ago um I was very much like you know all that stuff like doing the industry shit you know and I, I removed myself um on purpose I don't want it anymore i don't sign up for any ideology like so i shared that post today and i wrote if i were if i believed in any ideology this would be all be a part of it but i don't consider any two people on earth able to have all the same beliefs so why is that even a thing why do we sign up for things period mm -hmm. all a la carte anyway only reason anything anything ideological group think is artificial it, ha it must be by, by by virtue of its you know it's, it's 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 that's the way it's constructed so um i part through privilege and part through hard work and part through choice and sacrifice am committed to this other of you know be, my individual life and i commit to the menu you know one one thing at a time so like i happen to be on all four of those but if i weren't i would say so and I do mm -hmm. sometimes like the anti-Semitism thing. I've been up until this week, I've actually been saying, shut the fuck up, Jews. This is not our moment. And like, yes, anti-Semitism exists. Yes, we have experienced generational trauma. 
yes, we have inherited it, all that stuff. But no, we do not need to make Black Lives Matter about us. Actually, we should use the fact that we relate to understand better and connect with others through that. Uh, and I changed this week because what happened with anti-Semitism is that that narrative that I just gave has been said so many times and it got distorted to be used to actually incite anti-Semitism. So now we are actually experiencing uh, added anti-Semitism. So now, so, so I was actually clapping back at my side saying, mm -hmm. stop doing this, stop, you know, no, you're, you're not allowed to speak right now. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, but like, I don't think you should be talking about yourself right now. I think you should let the moment go to this other thing. And um, now I'm like, okay, actually, this got fucked with enough that I'm now changed. Um, anyway, so I, I do a ton of cutting. I do a, kind of, a ton of ignoring. You know, I drown out, like I don't listen to podcasts. I listen to only specific kinds of podcasts that are more like specific. Like I'll listen to like a director talking about their film, but I don't mm -hmm. listen to any, I don't listen to red, the last episode. Someone was asking me if I listened to a, to red scare and I don't because it's, it's just chatting. And yes, they're like inside a lot of stuff that I care about, but they don't talk ideas. They do a lot of like summary of like what's going on in the world. And I don't need, I don't want like a couple of people to, I don't want that. I don't want any kind of passive infotainment. I don't want anything passive. I'm all in all the time. It does not exhaust me. It's the way my personality works. I am fully focused on what I'm doing all the time. And that might be meditating and sitting and focusing on my breathing for an hour. That might be sitting and staring at the horizon for an hour. Like, but I'm fully in it when I'm doing it. And anything less than that, I consider, you know, I'm not doing a good job. So no, I do not do the like, diet of like being aware of everything going on. I don't give a fuck about being aware of everything going on. I only, I lean in and I learn what I have to learn about the things that I care about. And if I disagree with people who are generally on my side, I, I say so and I get in trouble and I get yelled at and I get in fights and I'm okay with it. And that's my life. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. How I mean about you? And, and then I know where this bridges into in this conversation and I'm about to do it, but I want to get your side of that too. <laughs> um, my, my side of it comes from a, a place of um, having to be learning, relearning or unlearning ideas about control uh, through sobriety and um, things like that. And I am kind of the most happy I've been by simply by virtue of knowing that I don't know anything. And I, I, I like to listen and I like to stop listening much like you said, but I, I don't like mm -hmm. to impart um, too much opinion on things that I don't feel like it's a my place or if I ever feel like I'm pointing fingers or if I, if I'm passionate about something much like you, I will fucking, scream and shout and stamp my feet but that won't ever happen when it's some kind of group think mentality because right. what i can't deal with and what i really struggle with is this sense of that everybody has an answer when i actually fundamentally think that we don't have the answer to anything and that's yeah. okay there, i don't there need is to be, i know about music i know about i said this this morning also like like I know about music. I know about film. There's, there's a few things that I'm an expert on. I'm really like, I'm very educated on, on a few things. Mm -hmm. These other things, like I am not an expert. Like I have no, I have nothing to tell any, I have only my opinion. 
and, yeah. and me having to have these like it like as if we're being quizzed every day because we're supposed to have read all the articles and stuff and like it's our you know this whole like literacy and education farce it's ridiculous like that we're supposed to read you know this is the 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 curriculum to be a good person like fuck you yeah no completely i I, there's no humility to that because we're not capable of that that's not how human beings work that's it humility that's 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 the fundamental of of my philosophy is that i don't know i'm ready to change my mind every second of every day and i and and why would i feel wrong yeah why would i fill up with um information if i keep none yeah anything i'm good at i know i knew how to do anyway i don't it's instinctive anything Mm. i anything i'm passionate about i of course there's technicalities that require learning of course this isn't to say you i just wake up and i know what to do ever about anything but I have had to learn and now do trust my instinct on things and try and stay completely open to the possibility of being utterly wrong all the time Mm -hmm. and not, I don't, and just not knowing it, just, it's the truth. To me, it's the truth. Uh, The truth is that there is potentially not a sense of truth that we that we talk I, the truth about. is that there is no truth the truth you know i, I think yeah. is what, like, uh, like i don't believe in true false good bad right wrong like it's not that's just there's just choices and actions and yeah. conflicts you know yeah. and and it's not it's not is this person better than me or worse than me it's just no i'm in conflict with that person yeah. that's i i always i always like to talk like that you know this person just wants different things than me they're not morally there's no moral that's not moral is not a thing that's just like someone wants something i I want a different thing like it doesn't matter how many people vote on my side versus his side it doesn't matter that's not they're not not, i think what we've uh, consensus yeah and we we've reached some kind of or always had some kind of false idea that um which again is an idea is that the truth is any different truth quote unquote is any different than just another idea it's that, that that's exactly it yeah we're just we're just receiving more information and ideas <laughs> and and distilling those ideas we're parsing it more and and we have to do that constantly you don't you don't end your study of anything yeah. you know because because time goes on when i left new york and came back people asked me what that was like what what what, what is it like to come back to you know how, how has new york yeah how has new york changed since you left and I, I said I don't know I can't I can't really describe because I've never been here before and it's never been you know this has never existed before I've never walked down this street before because like what I walked down before is something else yeah and I was a different I was a different version of me so okay. this version of me who has experienced the things that I just experienced for the last x amount of years has never experienced this place that has changed a lot over the last few years. So we're just talking, I can tell you how I feel, but imposing that on New York as if New York did something, you know, did something better or worse or more or less to me is not the way to look at it. It's just, how do I feel? That's it. Any, any, to me, any, um, sense that you are creating a, a 
again an idea of who you are and how you should present that to people is just a collection of experiences that no longer serve you because they mm -hmm. don't exist anymore yeah right i'm an empty i'm i'm a completely empty vessel today i woke up i'm gonna try and make some music and i'm having mm. this great conversation and that's <laughs> it that's all i know right now that's all i know and that's all i want to know <laughs> the one of the things someone gave me a great term today that i i'm sure i've come across before but i've never i, I never used it before the doom scroll which is just like going into Instagram and just like, you know, just, just, just going on and just, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and going into hours, you know, and all of a sudden it's tomorrow. Uh, we connected through Vero mm -hmm. and Vero Music, which you just, you know, I, I don't know what the term, you know, partner, creative director, founder, I don't know what, but uh, you, you could tell me, but um, talk to me about, Vero and and how this system of social media and sharing and connection is different from you know the because this is told Vero is totally not what we're talking about no. with, with the echo chamber kind of thing Vero is a very different experience both in who's on it and what they share on it so how, how did you come across it and and where does it fit into everything we're talking about well the Take that from whatever angle you feel like taking it. Cause we'll, yeah. we'll touch on the whole thing. There's like a bunch of different angles with, you know. Yeah, sure. I had definitely uh, always had a, this similarly to what we're saying, right? A slight kind of, I don't even know if cynicism is the word, but uh, uh, or even mistrust, just more that I didn't really understand the motivation and the necessity to do these to, to be forward facing in that social media sense. Like to me, a, um, you know, I, I love taking photographs and to me, the camera should be facing away from me. That, that kind of, that kind of, Fair. that kind of thing of, I just, I didn't see a purpose. It's as simple as that. I didn't really see that it was that good. I didn't really see thing. And, and um, I was introduced to Eamon um, Eamon Hariri is the founder of Vero, which is the social media app that we're talking about right now. T talk, yeah, talk, tell, give someone the, uh, the summary of what it is. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's funny with Vero, if I ever try and explain to it, it to someone, I'm really reticent to use the word app because I, I feel like when I think of the word app, I think of it, it kind of, it kind of, to me, says that something is uh, dismissible and here and here for a second and gone tomorrow. And there's a million other apps, right? And when I met Eamon, I had no, and it was a phone call, and we were he. All I knew was that um, there was this guy who was um, had a new social media platform that was very focused on creatives and creativity and sharing that in a more kind of um, natural, real, uh, authentic way than had been done before. And so I, that was the only expectation. I was excited, you know, I was like, okay, I love talking about making stuff, let's go. So I spoke to this guy and what immediately struck me was a complete lack of kind of any pretense at all we just 
we just started talking about um some music we both loved and uh, and before i even started talking about music i was i started telling him that i was considering doing photography and and, and wanted to get into that and such is the nature of Eamon that he just he just rolled with the the passion he could hear and the excitement in that and and so my first experience with Eamon and Vera was making a photography book which is nothing to do with what I quote unquote do and that's what really excited me there was no boxes that I felt I was put in as a creator or that were expected on this quote unquote app. It was purely about the love of making things and sharing them and the excitement to do it. And so I just felt really excited. Um, and there was a freedom to it and a lack of constraint to it. It was just purely about, yeah, like I said, the beauty of making one, wanting to put something out in the world and expressing yourself. Um, yeah, and I was and I was really struck by Eamon's passion and desire to do that and to just put something in the allow people to put something in the world that is meaningful them to them without control and without constraint. Um, and so that 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 began a whole process of making that book, which was an incredible experience because I needed that refocus away from making music because I was. The, for me, music had become entwined with the industry and all that entails, you know, and I'd forgotten why I do it in the first place. So doing something completely new creatively with this with this guy that I didn't know from Adam was, was an amazing experience. And because of that, we just carried on talking. And at some point, again, I hadn't even met him at this point. And again, on a, on a phone call, we just started talking about music and and. And my experiences of what I th what I think some are some problematic hurdles that artists face, and how we could help, and how he could help, and it was all from that place. And so, me mistrusting of the industry to hear to to trust someone's motivations was a kind of radical shift that made me really excited again. And and but in a different way, I wanted to. I wanted to maybe see if I could help artists not go through the same pitfalls, you know, use my quote unquote negative experiences to try and um, put up some art in the world without any of those hurdles. And that's what Eamon kind of is all about and was all about. And that was the formation of it really. I know that was a bit of a ramble. Not at all. No, I mean, it was a lot, of, it was a lot of points. Um, and then, so the formation we're talking about, you know, Vero Music, which yeah. is which is a record label extension of the of Vero, the company, you know, whatever it is, a social network, a content creation, uh, original content hub. Um, but yeah, so so you guys decided to to start a label, basically. Yeah, yeah, and. Um... <laughs> I was I had PTSD when about the word record label. Right. So um but from Me too, the I feel you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and from the get-go it was about the whole focus was about giving artists a runway and a platform and uh, and development 
which, oh my God, what happened to that? You know, it seemed, it struck me before this that you get, now you get one shot. I think about all my, the records that I will forever love and hold so dear to my heart. They're never someone's, they're very rarely someone's first record, you know. We're talking about, and because and, to me, cre creativity and, and making music or whatever it is that you do um, is, I think you constantly learn just like anything else. And you can get better and you can understand more who you are and through trial and error. And, and so the sense that Vero Music could offer artists a place to be themselves, time to do that, and not feel the pressure of the industry bearing down on them to have a, a song that's going to go on New Music Friday next week, and if it doesn't, you're fucked. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't stomach that. You know, if it was that, I wouldn't do it. Because then it's, I mean, it being irresponsible, right? Because I've been through that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that to an artist. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of where it is, and that's the philosophy, and that's where we're at. There's currently um, a few things in development. There's, there's a, a few songs out by uh, artists under Jackson. Um, and it's just, it, so far, it's, it's exactly what we talked about in the first place, and that's really what excites me. There was, there's, no, there's no hidden agendas. There's, it's just... You know, I could get into the con contractual stuff uh, about why it's so much, why it's so beneficial for artists, but it, you know, I'm not going to bore anyone with that. But it, it truly. Well, no, is. I mean, a lot of people. I, I don't know. Don't say anything that's like secret. But if there's sort of angles to the construction of it, I talk a lot about this kind of stuff about the like, like I, I wrote an article on music business worldwide. Like the, you know, the ins. Like I want an artist to hear my show. And, you know, similar, like I, I, I want someone who read the Donald Passman book or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, to get value out of this at the very least. Like, so I, I speak inside baseball on the show. I, I don't intend the show to be, um, you know, just like a passive uh, mainstream. Like I know I want to talk, like, I like talking details and explaining to people the patronage model, like with, with patreon and Substack and stuff like that that can happen right now uh you know the original content model the exclusive model like different ways to get things out there um i think it's important i do like to break things down in granular detail in actionable because it's actionable at that point we're not just yeah. like like i don't really give a fuck about like you know a puff piece about like you guys are doing something and giving it publicity that's not the point you could do that elsewhere like like here i i like actually like going granular and giving someone like you want to know exactly how to do it, how this guy does it. Like, cool. Like we can go do it. So I like, I like the breakdown actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, don't say anything. Don't talk out of school. You know, don't, don't say no, anything no, that's like illegal, but like, you know, I love to hear the, the, all the details. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're completely right. It may, what Cause an artist can take it and do yeah, something with that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. What you just said made me think actually it's, that what the industry has done up till now wrongly, I think, is irresponsibly shield artists from the granular. Mm -hmm. And that means that you wake up one day and you go, where's my fucking money? Uh, because Yeah, there's no value system. The value system is actually this like awkward... Uh, 
like it's all just it's all non-valuable things it's like get a record deal or it's it's things that are like that that seem like they hold value but they don't necessarily they more connect you to the things that would hold value but if they don't make that connection then you are the the chain is broken and you're not getting the value so it's it's actually really really dangerous and where artists have fallen is oh my God, I just got to get a record deal or oh my God, I just got to get an agent or a manager or something. No, actually those are just bridges to these other things. So what is it that you really want? And can you figure that out? And and, and are these the pathway to that? They are not the B. They are the A actually, you know, they, they, they are the, or there's a C and you're trying to get to the C. You're the A, you want the C and they are the B. And they are not the goal. The goal is not getting signed to Republic Universal. The goal is not getting on the tour with Lord. You know those things. The goal is getting a fan base, having a revenue model that is sustainable, having a production producerial workflow amongst your collaborators that allows you to, to to make music, to have a revenue stream that allows you to to continue to do things and to pay your team. You know, to not be going crazy, to be on top of your, you know, on top of your business management, like that. Th- th- those are the goals. If you need money in advance, you do, a, you know, you do a certain kind of publishing deal. You do a certain kind of record deal. If you need, if you want to keep your independence and you don't have a lot of overhead, and you want to keep your, you want to own your masters, and you want freedom and stuff like that, and you want freedom to collaborate with who you collaborate with, then you do a different kind of, you know. But if you don't know, if you haven't answered those questions. If you don't know what you really need, then you might just go with like the biggest name and the biggest name might hurt, you know, it might, it might, be, it might be six years of your career. And right, and ex- word for word, exactly what happened to me twice in a row, right? Which kind of led me to... Um, yeah, you had, a hu- you had the biggest label in the world. You yeah. had a huge publicist. I've been getting, you know, your, your press releases in my inbox directly you know forever uh since whatever that is 2012 or something like that like you had all the things and you know it's a perfect example like of if that didn't work for you like yeah i mean god i've so i had made that we'll obviously get back to vero but this is a part of it is that i had made that the first until the rhythm breaks record as i said with this commitment to doing everything we just to not doing everything we just talked about because i'd just been through it right so i made a massive effort to be self-sufficient so that i had the property right i had the music and therefore there was going to be no cooks in the kitchen that could take it off me Mm. and do what i'd just been through but that was that was the end of 2011 i finished the first until the ribbon breaks record it didn't come out until January 2015. Whoa. Because by the time it came out, it had all be, already gone through two labels and various agents and various reasons why you can't put this out now because this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And you're sat on some shelf and you, and it, and yes it's a creator's responsibility to continue to make because that's our power, right? That's what we have, but you can't help but be affected by this kind of stuff that's out of your control that is stopping your flow. So 
it was really important to me that we it's we not just internally of, it's infrastructural as well like yes. you need to you need studio time you need people to collaborate with you you need to pay for things you need to you know you need access to things and access when your record is is on hold is shelved it you you lose access to things that yep. you would have had if you were on your own even you you are blocked from certain things totally totally and and that has a huge effect on your capacity to on your motivation, you know. Um, they also dis they often discourage you from making more yeah, because yeah. they it doesn't actually they have enough at that point and they're just you know waiting to do what they're gonna do and they just they don't really care if you make more. So they would find ways to without directly they don't they don't have like direct skin in the game, but they'll find indirect ways to disincentivize you are making more because if it's five dollars out of their pocket it's not worth it because they don't need anything from you at that point totally and, yeah it's funny um through making um i'm constantly surprised actually by Eamon's ability to and desire to um do the exact opposite of everything we're talking about he's never he's never about when is always why like here's a song and it's never like when the song it's like but why the song if that means it takes longer which is the exact in my experience opposite of what you would expect normally from uh you know whatever his technical term is like the ceo of a record label or whatever but that's the thing about him he doesn't put himself in that position it doesn't ever seem he seems like a collaborator at all times He'll mm. be the one to say, take more time on it because it's worth it. Rather than the value system is just putting points now. on the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not about. And however that happens, it happens. Yeah, exactly. It's not about uh, simply a product going to market. That's never part of it. It's about why. Why are we doing it though? How does it feel? You know. That's how we we first connected when I was at Apple and. I was in a similar position where I got to, you know, connect. My job was just putting, you know, making good stuff, period. Like I, I got to just our, you know, our original con, there was no department. It was just, you know, me and Larry and we had two executive producers who, who are still doing it. And they're amazing. Uh, just there to make stuff. We just, we just made whatever we've, you know, would make impact and, you know, good music, good videos, good films, whatever. Um, put on good tours, whatever it was. And just having a constant flow of those meant people coming to the platform and enjoying themselves and good press for the platform. That was it. Yeah. It was as simple as that. Yeah. And Vero is in a similar position where Eamon just like wants to like, you know, as long as the revenue model is not like, you know, not too uh, upside down, like just make good shit and have it associated and and yeah and there's a complete uh trust engendered by these specifics of the contract which let an artist know that it's not just standard record label yeah we believe in you to get you, know, you say it to get you through the door thing it's like for instance an artist uh starts earning day one there's not there's not 
until you've recouped the total of your advance, there'll be nothing. It's you have a percentage of your own business from day one. It's a share from day one. It's not a loan. And, you know, the, the records industry is predicated on these. Yeah, Island Records has got a cool logo and it used to have Bob Marley, but it's a bank. That's what it's been up to now. Here's a bunch of money. We, we're going to need it back with a lot of interest. So you better fucking deliver. That, that's, they do so much more amazing stuff than that. that is, as I said, when, when labels work, they do it really fucking amazingly. And there's amazing music that comes out of it. But in terms of the minutiae of the contractual models historically, I don't think they're set up in the favor of engendering trust in an artist or the pursuit of a long and fruitful career and and even after in the vero deals even after you've reached um recoupment the 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 shift of percentages is the exact opposite whereas like an island is like 80 20 in their favor it's the exact opposite whatever the exact number is i forget but it's the the flip is just the exact of what is normal and you expect. So to me, it immediately says to an artist, you can just make the thing that you believe in and believe that it's, it's being treated with the respect that it deserves. Because it's about an artist and what they're making rather than how can we land on X, Y, and Z's desk to maximize likes plays subscriptions whatever it is whatever the, the new thing is that people are desperately trying to get the fundamental is is it good and will it how will it make people feel you know and to me that that's all it i'm not naive enough to think that it, there doesn't have to be an infrastructure about around music you know i know that I do think that artists should take more responsibility and it took me a fucking long time to understand the, uh, understand what all these things mean. You know, when you're, Oh, it's a huge, someone's like, Oh, this person's going to offer you this publishing deal. And you're like, Oh God, I can finally pay that landlord. I've been telling for 10 years. Of course I'll sign it. Where's the pen? Huge learn. (laughs) And then I didn't hear what you said just now, but yeah, I was just saying that, the, Sorry, the, listeners, you're repeating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I might cut out. I tell you what, I, I won't because if mine didn't, then I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yours is yours recorded. My headphone cut out. Okay, I didn't hear. Then I, but then if it, okay, no one needs to hear me ramble. Okay, the so so <laughs> you tell me the bridge between. Okay, so like you know, you're doing the photography thing. Obviously, you have music in you know in the rear view at this moment. Um, and you're connected with Eamon, uh, where did it come to be all of a sudden you're going to be like a label executive? Because, that you know, it's a, that's what you're doing. You have to mount the, you're running these campaigns, right? Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a bit of a uh, kind of a, <laughs> it's literally a Hollywood story, but it is, it is true. It sounds like some mm-hmm. kind of Disney East Hollywood story, I expect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was around, the, almost around that exact time, very kind of serendipitously, I uh, met a kid 
um he was like 20 or something in an in a uber actually in a um not not totally randomly i was in an uber with a friend and he said can we just pick up a buddy of mine he's just moved here from oklahoma he doesn't know what he's doing and this kid got in the car and started singing at some point along to the radio and it was a true (laughs) moment of um like wait a minute what sorry what what who are you what do you do what's going on what the fuck (laughs) you're just like oh dude i've just moved here from oklahoma i don't know what i'm doing but like you know much like we were saying about cardiff it was just like i need to get to the big city to follow my dream (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah and you know i had no big no great idea other than i feel like we need to I want to play some chords under your voice. That was it. I need to hear that again somehow, like tomorrow. Uh, and that was kind of in conjunction. That was around the same time. And then um, it took us a Got while it. to figure out what his what his voice, what kind of music he wanted to make or who he was as an artist. Um, but then we arrived, as these things often happen, at one song, which kind of turned the key. I'd played that to Eamon or he'd heard that and that became, you know, these things are all great, right? These ideas and concepts are all great, but it, it, there was a, there was a thing. There was a finite thing to attach it to. There was excitement and a, and a song, you know, and, and I guess that kind of, that kind of birthed it. And he also had struck up a relationship on Vero, which is a beautiful thing, you know, that that is the true essence of, I think why he, not to speak for him, but why he started, or one of the reasons he started it in the first place was to cultivate these amazing collaborative relationships. And he just by proxy of being on the platform had met this band called Dana and the Wolf. So. So I had developed this relationship with uh, this kid, uh, Thunder Jackson, I'm gonna stop saying kid. Um, And he had developed this relationship with this band called Dana and the Wolf. And then suddenly it was like, oh, let's do it. You know? Um, And yeah, that that kind of brings us up to now where we've released a few Thunder Jackson songs, which is really exciting. Um, Dana and the Wolf are in the studio writing getting their getting their stuff together that's been an amazing eye-opening experience for me kind of uh a and for want of a no actually that that is what i've been doing um <laughs> just just trying to take an overview of it and it's it's been really it's it's a new challenge for me and it's really exciting and um, so talk, talk to me about the releases like what i i kind of i kind of get where you would be in an A&R position, that's like not so, I don't know, like, yeah, like that's kind of regular, but I'm more interested actually in the way you're releasing music and what goes into the campaign and what goes into the, you know, lead up, the release day afterwards. Uh-huh. What's, yeah, what's on, what's on your spreadsheet? What's on your calendar? What are you thinking about? It's incredibly, Targets, you know, what are your highlights? Yeah. It, it, differently to how I've, or how I've experienced the music industry and labels before it's much more modular in the sense of okay take thunder jackson for example specifically to that music who should be the team that we surround 
around it rather than having like a staff that just works whatever project lands on their desk it's kind of more designed to cherry pick the right people so you know the same the same things apply that always have a, an, a, a publicist a distribution a ada are doing the distribution on thunder jackson um there's a Eamon is very much involved when on on creative like he's been in the studio on in thunder yeah, he was talking to me about that he was really excited about about all the work in the studio it, like the actual it was, like it was amazing he came in and, and we changed this this whole pre-chorus on one of what i think is the most best songs on the thunder record it was such an amazing process it, he's very proud of it <laughs> oh he should, he should be it was amazing it was amazing um so it's 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 very hands-on it's we're learning as we go you know in terms of the 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 kind of rollout and the calendar and the schedule it's still we it still has to exist in the world that everybody else is it's still you still need the same platforms the dsp mm-hmm. there's still uh there's still the desire for the spotify's and the apple musics and the youtubes i think the difference being that um it's like i said it's more modular and there's a there's a there's more of a freedom attached to it in how we do things if something doesn't feel good we can we can pivot and that's important because uh i think setting hard and fast rules around these things often ends up going the opposite of how you want it to you know um did you decide on ada for distribution i think this is like a big one that uh that people you know any artist or label are, are crossing that bridge manager they're crossing that bridge right now of how to distribute music because it could just be TuneCore, you know so yeah. how, how did you end up uh, with that decision they seemed genuine. this is the warner warner independent distribution basically is what ada is yeah they, they seem genuinely excited and to understand the music and where it should exist and and i think that was um that was the fundamental uh, and that's the other thing there's a lot of this that the onus is more put on um who the artist feels is going to best deliver and and work with and collaborate with oh so you had him in meetings with different yeah. distributors yeah and they and they felt cool. and they felt um genuinely genuinely excited by it and loved the music and for me that's worth some that's worth before i pulled out and this was i guess 2014 probably yeah 2014 uh i launched my label in 2013 and i did it independently though and and it, it did really well and i had like my pick of all the you know i had stupid advances offered um which again are loans they're not real money but uh i I was i was kenny wegley was like you know i was going to end up going with ada Mm -hmm. i i pulled i didn't do any of them and i ended up with you know jimmy ivy and larry jackson trent reznor ian rogers over at apple music but uh if i didn't i probably would have i was i was most excited about kenny's deal at ada yeah yeah they feel it feels real Mm -hmm. You know, there's, that's that's fundamental to me. I think is it's just what services are are like. Do you tap over there that you that you that are important to you? Um, 
it might be none at the moment, which is totally oh, no. yeah. One thing for me is that I don't think it's some something, even from an A&R perspective, I, don't, I think it's really important to have a, objectivity and outside opinions on uh, even micro stuff like which song will work where and when. You know, I think it's very much in an artist's, uh, and I think it should be like this, but an artist- You have like a product manager relationship with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, cool. they- Exactly, because I, to me, I think an artist's last song is in their mind their best song, and that's what should go out next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't think that's always necessarily true. So, uh, collaborating on that kind of thing, like decision making in terms of rollout, which I don't think should fall always on the people who are too close to the record. Um, and then, you know, even more micro like yesterday we were choosing um album covers just and they will collaborate on that and have opinions on that and, and you shot that right yeah yeah a complete accident and that's why it ended up being <laughs> the album cover is because we've done a we've done a bunch of press shoots <laughs> and, and it, it always ends up feeling that way but that photo was just i don't even i don't even think you knew i was taking a picture and it always ends up Way, right it's right. The, there's an authenticity in it je ne sais quoi. yeah and i could try and recreate that a million times and it'd never work but why yeah. you already have it yeah exactly my okay my poster for the film that i didn't even mean to like be the poster i was just like i needed to put a, a cover image on something and i just went i was just like i needed to do it quick and like i just went into my folder all my images and like the first one that came up was actually the first image that I took. I, I have probably a thousand image from like images from, uh, <clears throat> from location scouts and walkthroughs and, and like previs uh, and like an iPhone picture. That was the first one that I took on location is now the poster and it's just, it's just a random picture that I took of, of the, the, like, not right of right next to the set actually and I, I i did an edit on it like you know just to color correct really um and that's gonna I, I, and i looked at it and i was like oh that's i was like fuck it like, that's exactly <laughs> I, what I, uh, I was like even the color goes with the color scheme that i was going for for like the sort of uh you know motif of of of, of branding of how i would want it to be um and yeah it was just it was from my iphone and it's and that's it. It was it was it was meant to like show somebody. It was like I took it to to like text it to somebody <laughs> the, for for the scout the next day. I was like it was it was like a check this out. Like you're gonna be here tomorrow. And that is, and then we have hundreds of photos of that same spot. And this was the best one. I love that. Like the photo decided. And it's the top of the folder. Yeah. <laughs> like everything else is is catalog is cataloged. It's like, it's like formal, it's from like, you know, I did real cameras and shit and it's all like catalog. Like I had like DPs doing these and then the, there's just one that's like random, you know, like a six, seven, blah, 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 whatever. Like, and that's the, that's the poster for the movie now. It always, it's always ends up that way. Like, and I think for me, it's because anytime I try, it's back to the control thing. If I try and control something, doesn't yeah. it, did, it didn't decide 
right? <laughs> so, well, that's kind of how you fell into Vero too. It's like, yeah. you know, it was a photography project with a non-photography entity, you know, and then it turned into a music project with, a, you know, music adjacent entity. And it sounds like it's working out great from, you know, from other parties who I've spoken to. Eamon's happy. I, I, it was on my, you know, Friday playlists and stuff. So I got it. I, I had it like not through you. Like I had it just, you know, I, I knew of Thunder Jackson already. So I was getting the music on playlists and shit. So, and it's good. And it, yeah, I mean, it's so exciting for him, Thunder, to, to, to um, it's all, it's, it, it's all so new that it's exciting, like the way to do it and how we do it and learning as you go. So it, it, it has, it's so unformulaic in a lot of senses that it, you can kind of make it up as you go. And I think that's, I think that's really exciting. You know something, I think this is the first episode I've done where we haven't talked about quarantine. <laughs> not that I'm, not that I'm saying we have to right now, but I was like, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, oh, you released during quarantine. I was like, that thought came into my head and it, I, it occurred to me like every other episode that I do, we end up like the first 40 minutes ends up being like quarantine talk, you know, cause you can't resist. You have to, but like this time we didn't do it at all, which is lovely, you know? Yeah. It's really nice. There's it's nothing true. to say. Like <laughs> oh, exactly. it goes back to exactly what we were saying, right? What's my <laughs> like, opinion? What am I going to say? Yes. It's happening. Yes. We're like, gonna say, yeah. Same. Yes, I'm in a place <laughs> where I make music. I commute between here and the other place. The other place is home and I stay there a lot. And, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a weird, crazy time right now, but we're all adjusting. And yeah. <laughs> I just hope I hope it doesn't get any worse. And, you know, <laughs> just listing the things that are yeah. what hopes and prayers are with all the, you know, <laughs> really people friend, need yeah. to be responsible and wear their masks and free Britney. <laughs> 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 exactly like we oh yeah it would be a waste of oxygen yeah exactly I, like but but it happens it's hard to find two people who are ready to not waste that oxygen you know what i'm saying like because every email exchange like i was early on this and people got mad at me like a week or two in i was already doing the like blah 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 crazy times i know i hope you're safe blah 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 family blah 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 uh, okay, now the thing that I'm actually writing you about. And people yeah. were like, not happy with, people yeah. were like, too yeah. soon, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> I need more. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, like acknowledge, yeah, yeah. acknowledge your suffering. Thank you. You acknowledge my suffering. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, otherwise it's just like a, a whinge fest. Who, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, who, like, I don't, you don't want that. I don't want that. I'm sure nobody listening wants it, that. It's hilarious. Like, there, there, there's, I, I feel like I've seen like skits or something of like, I feel like when I say like, I acknowledge your suffering. Like, I don't think I made that up. Like, I feel like it's, <laughs> but it is hilarious. Like when there's also been times where I don't do it, I just get to the point and then someone does it and they like passive aggressively shame me for not doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll write them an email and be like, Hey, wanted to schedule that call. Like, um, is 11 AM Tuesday. Good. Thanks so much. Have a great day. And they'll be like, they'll respond with, yeah, man, doing great. You know, thanks so much. Like uh, crazy times right now, but, um, <laughs> and like, 
I just got to make sure, you know, who, who knows things are changing so fast in this current <laughs> state of affairs. Like, thank God we're all healthy. And, you know, I won't. At the end of it, it just says, so yeah, 11's cool. 11's cool. Yeah. Thanks. I'll send you the iCal invite. Like, <laughs> a classic one as well is the, and it's really passive graphs. It's, it's funny. is the one where it's, but you say, say your email that you said, which is like, like it's Tuesday at 11 call. You get the reply. It's like, <laughs> what else would I be doing? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I say that all the time. Like all these people, like, like you hit me like to, you know, we have to like change the time and like for a while, I'm not really doing it that much anymore because now it's kind of, we're all on this page, but like, I've been in Mexico by myself for like five plus months in one place by myself. I'm either in the house or I'm on the beach that's next to my house. And that's it. Like how many phone calls can I do in a day? There aren't that like two or three. That's it. So it's like, like I love when people like genuinely, like I get it. People who like my dad runs a big company. Like there's, you know, 60 something people or something like that. And he's got like his day is, is, is occupied. That's, that's one thing, but like very few people are in that position where like they're actually operating a, a, a system. If you're not operating a system whereby you need to check in with each of your departments and all of your people, not just to actually get the information, but to make sure they're on point and motivate and, and just, just to touch them, you know, just, just to, just to be touch, just to touch base. He needs to touch base with them constantly in order to keep the wheels moving. And that's, that's, that's one thing. It's not my life at all. I do not need to do that. And, you know, I am totally good with 90% of the things that I do being a quick email. So yeah, yeah there was this guy who like wanted to get on a call. There's like one thing he's, he's on his third attempt of trying to turn something into a call that I refuse to do as a call. I just want it to be an email and like, he keeps doing it and I have the time for it. Of course I do, you know, but like, so I now, and now I guess this is like two ends of the, of that same spectrum of like, I have all the time in the world. Like you want to get on a fucking call. Like, I don't know, like how's like in an hour, you know, like I'm, I'm, I've always kind of been like that, like very, you know, immediate of just like respond. My favorite people, all like the people I would call like any kind of mentorship, they do that too. I always mm -hmm. tell this story about like this time where I emailed Troy Carter and, and I needed, I, it was just very vague. I like needed his advice on a decision and he called me. 30 seconds later, like didn't respond on the email, just called me and I picked up the phone. Tom Winded thing, I was talking to Tom yesterday, like immediate, like gets it off his to-do list. You know, he's there for someone and it's, it, it's, it's good for both parties because you're the good person, you know, you're, you're, you're taking care of this person, but you're also swiping this up, check, gone. Don't have to think about this anymore. Uh, so I, I always do that, but then I'm also on the other end of the spectrum of like, I do, like I have serenity, you know, I have my ocean and I don't want to interrupt my ocean for bullshit. So like this guy who doesn't need me on the phone, this has been, this is not new for me, but it's, it's, it's more entrenched now. Like people who want to get on the phone for something that should be an asynchronous, you know, communication. I hate synchronizing communication that should be asynchronous. I love being full focus. Mm -hmm. I love dad, you know, really doing it like, like immersing and being with someone and going deep, but I do not like turning an information exchange into a thing on my calendar, like information exchange. We solved that problem already. Like I do not want my day to just be information exchanges. No, absolutely not. And this guy like wants to be on the phone for <laughs> 
and I was like, here's my information. This is my understand what other questions you could ask me, but please ask them. And like, let's attempt this asynchronous. I love asynchronous communication. Like, I like said it on the email. I was like, yeah, like I want it. I want to attempt this asynchronous. Like we have the technology. He's, he's backing you into a corner where you're going to just have to say, nah. Yeah. I'm going to have to just pass. Like email, email. Or I'm ready to burn this down. Yeah. That's also yeah. it. He, yeah. he, he might not know. I am ready to burn this to the fucking ground before <laughs> getting on a phone call. <laughs> hey, and that wasn't your choice. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm practicing brakemanship, not because I, like, am a hard because rationally need to. This is not a relationship building thing. This is like, this is, this is a proper information on a property. Give me the fucking information or don't. That's it. Oh, I have a huge ground before I get on a fucking phone call for information. I, I'm, I'm very much in favor of this this rant i think my biggest <laughs> my biggest pet peeve is the assumption that because you have a phone or a laptop and everybody does or an ipad or whatever that means that you are available mm-hmm. regardless of what it is you're doing like it doesn't because sending someone a text just by proxy of that isn't shouldn't be an assumption that they have to reply immediately or even at all. And if they don't, and if you don't, you're rude where, but you just sat there doing nothing. Something arrived in you, like your phone rang or. You yeah. Got it's a- like an access and consent situation. Yeah. And it, the imposition. You know, it's, it's, uh, and it's not about like being antisocial. It's about, I'm, um, whatever it is i'm recording or i'm walking my dog like it gets into a broader aspect of just what is you know what we talked about in the beginning of this conversation of the essential and you know what what you really want to be doing with your day and i i say oh yeah another like little anecdote like i say okay here my friend asked me for a playlist for a bridal shower the other day (laughs) and she gave me a description you know boho she but i think she wrote and I was like, I, I, I responded to her. I said, there's tons of playlists. There's, you know, tens of thousands of those. Type literally what you said to me into Spotify and it'll come up and just yeah. pick one of those. And she said, LOL, you know, okay. And she did. And then she said, there's too many. I can't decide. And I was like, so there are too many options satisfying your need that you won't pick one even though they all satisfy your need. And she said, it's easier to just make a new one because I can't decide. And I was like, oh my God, that logic, like that's wild. So we have solved this problem for you so significantly, so oversolved that you now, it's like DJs became so irrelevant that they're now relevant again. so weird so i gave her i was like i refuse i literally said on the email i was like i love staring off into space i love staring i i I have a horizon right in front of me it's beautiful the ocean i will stare at it before i will make you a playlist so (laughs) i will tag in a friend who cares about this shit more and 
he <laughs> makes playlists for people sometimes and he's a DJ and he maybe is not in Mexico. I think he's in New York. So his, he can't, he doesn't have access to the same horizon that I do. So maybe his value system is different. And uh, while I'm staring off into space at this horizon, he can make you a playlist. And, uh, and I, and I did, and I, I introduced them and, and he's making her playlist. And I'm staring <laughs> off into the fucking horizon. And furthermore, PPS, can you ask him to make me a staring at the horizon spot? <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and also PPS. But that's, I, I'm totally like, I'd rather do nothing. You know, I, I, I value my nothing time. I'm shutting my phone tonight until tomorrow night. And like, I'm not doing it to like focus on it. I'm just shutting it. Well, I mean, that's a whole nother, that's another two hours, isn't it? Is that the, <laughs> the, there is no, that nothing isn't nothing. Like that's the problem, right? Is yeah, exactly. We, we've been, exactly. I need to get nothing. I'm, I'm yeah. craving nothing. Yeah. You're craving nothing and everything, right? It's like, I've what, had a lot on this week. Like I, like when I first got on with you, I was like, I was, I was like juggling a bunch of things and I need to, I'm, I, you know, I have after, you know, after this, I have like two more calls and then I'm shutting my phone and yeah. I'm giving myself an evening and a day tomorrow, Saturday. I think I might have to talk to Eamon actually, but I'll like time that, you know, and yeah. that'll be the only time I turn my phone on or something, but you know, whatever. He's very, but, uh, uh, he's, he's, I mean, you know this already, but he's very much what you were saying about um, any time, day or night. Yeah. He does. It's not like he occupies some kind of passive, like, yeah, I just want all this to happen. He's like completely hands on. Like you said, what's like, all right, let's talk about it. And then there's a billion other things to it. Like, I love, I just love doers. Yeah, I think he also respects like being a, I, I hate phrases like this, but it kind of applies like the world citizen aspect yeah. that, you know, we're on different time zones and we're just like, we're, there's no like office hours. There's no Monday through Friday. We're just doing stuff and it happens whenever it happens. So, you know, it was like, we'd rather talk on the weekend. So we had a quick conversation about this just to be like, you know, download Sean with whatever I need to know from his side before you and I talk. But, but as far as like the other shit, like let's do it when it's quiet. Like there's no, we don't need to like schedule a window. Let's just do it sometime when we're both free. And yeah, yeah it, it, and it happens to be on a Saturday that like other people might be like, oh no, we don't talk on Saturdays or Sundays. Like what the fuck, that's so stupid. Yeah, I mean, oh God, if, if I would be so depressed if I couldn't, if I felt like I couldn't live my life in an equally sometimes to a no not to a fault actually like a modular way if i mm. know exactly what i'm doing tomorrow i don't want it to ever arrive i don't yeah. want to know i, I like I, yes it's important to have a kind of loose thing so shit gets done but in terms of the specificity of like at 11 it's this and at one it's this and at three yeah it's having this, a full ah, calendar and stuff people get very insecure about that that's the thing you know People get insecure about having free time. I, I don't. I, I have my things that I have to get done. And I have, I, have, I have things that I have to get done, like important things. And it's one or two things, you know. And then I have like actual things that I do, which are like I'm recording with you. And I had one other recording earlier. And like, that's it. And then in the rest of the day, like I'm, the rest of these phone calls that I have, like they're not scheduled. They're just like, I'm going to call you sometime, you know, in this window. And we do that. And like, they have to be on the same page but like i don't schedule you know i don't schedule calls for like 
like, like, like random calls that are just like, you know, oh, we're working on like a design thing. Like we're just going to connect whenever sometime tonight. Uh, yeah. And yeah. And leaving space for things that might happen. <laughs> right. I like, I like to have my tea and I like to no, no joke. Like I literally, like I might call her right now when we get off or I might make a tea and I might stare into space for a while <laughs> and then call her after like TBD, how I feel. My foot is broken, so I can't go swimming. I would go swimming if I wanted, if, if I could. But <laughs> like, that's that's there, and I like having that space. Oh man, I I, uh, you know, I'm very happy to be in a studio and very grateful and all the rest of it, and I truly am. But to be sitting in front of a window with the horizon and the ocean, there's no window, man. That's amazing, dude. Oh, I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. There's no windows. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, turn your phone off for a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. This is, that's just, like, my upstairs is even nicer. Oh. Like, it's so, I, I got so lucky. Man. I just turned my camera around to show him the, the horizon that I've been talking about. And the beach is right next. It's right next to me. And whatever I had in my head, it was just ramped up by <laughs> 20 times. All right. Well, dude. Dude, it's been a pleasure. I'm happy, I'm happy to happy to connect like this and I'm happy for your project. I'm I'm excited to see what comes next. I'm a fan, a supporter, and uh and I, and I equally, dude. I love what you're doing and I love the I love the free formness of this. It's so liberating and just <laughs> fucking great to like be excited but equally if you want to scream at the void for a minute i love it i love it <laughs> totally yeah man it's yeah that's life. that's what i just i just like i want it to be like it just us on the phone and you know maybe like a slightly enhanced version of that because we're going a little further on things like for the benefit of another listener but it's really just like this is the shit that i that i like want to talk to you about there's nothing that i talk to you about on this that's like that I wouldn't want to know if no one's recording, you know, if no one's listening, yeah. like, it's all just like, there's no quote. Yeah. Uh, right. I am very, very intrigued to see. I really, I need to see this uh, movie without the music. I'm so intrigued. Oh, that. I'll send you a link. Yeah, please. I would love yeah. to see that. I would love, right, I'd love your opinion. It's all right, man. Have a great night. Stay safe. When you leave there, uh, hopefully you get sushi after you get mugged. And um, you know, yeah, <laughs> hopefully yeah, the mugging is not too bad. That's how I and... want. If someone approaches me um, to mug me, I may say, "Can we just wait? Can we just you could? Can we just wait half an hour?" Can I? Well, no. How about this? Can I just get you an omakase instead? Yeah, yeah. The, do, you, do you want? Do you want fifty bucks out of my pocket, or do you want this really expensive omakase? Yeah. And then we could become friends. <laughs> <laughs> Best friends forever. Yeah. Right, I dude. did that once with this brand who wanted to do like a sponsorship thing. And I was like, don't give me any money. Just take me for my favorite omakase. <laughs> yeah. Were they like, yes. Yeah, it was, it was perfect. It was a win-win because it was, it was cheaper anyway. But uh, all right, man. All right, Enjoy dude. the weekend. Thank you all again. Right. And uh, we'll be in touch. All Peace. Right, if you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend, Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. 
They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair.